Hello, and welcome to the Go Take Pictures podcast, where we spend time getting to know people who've decided to use photography to communicate in powerful ways. And the question I want to ask, how do they balance making art with being a real person? How does photography fit into their family, their job, struggles, and everyday life? At the end of the conversation, I'm hoping to know where the art comes from and then share that with you. My guest on this episode is Tommy Spencer, a street and live music photographer in Portland, Oregon, who specializes in film. Tommy and I have been friends for a few years and have been recording another podcast since last summer at the beginning of the pandemic. He works in the photo industry and has a formal education in art with a focus on photography. We talked about his career path, what film means to him, as well as some specifics of how he juggles shooting digital and film. Well, um, so you've, you've listened to my podcast a few times, I think. I listen to it religiously when you drop new episodes, and I'm trying to figure out as uh, why I have a- know, knowing the type of photography I do, why I'm on here. <laughs> well, I don't do landscapes. <laughs> well, I've I've um, I've interviewed product photography folks. I've interviewed commercial photographers. Yeah, um, I really enjoyed uh, what's his name from the Taylor Guitars. That was a good uh, Patrick, episode. Patrick Four. Patrick. Yeah. I went yeah. and followed him after that. I was like, Ooh. I mean, I follow everybody that you interview on here. So cool. I've talked to Sarah a few times now and followed Patrick and, uh, talked to Ben Horn yeah. quite frequently cause we're both film nerds. Yeah. So. so, um, Oh, I get, before I get too far into it, obviously, um, Tommy Spencer, you are, yeah, <laughs> we have another podcast we've been recording together for about a year now. Correct. Um, although it's kind of crazy when I think back to when I, when I think, oh, it's been almost a year, but we don't have 52 episodes. Uh, so we're, we're a little bit infrequent with our posting on that one. We're in the thirties, something like that. Something like um, that. Yeah. But I'm kind of infrequent with this one as well. And it's mainly because I, almost everything that I do like this, it's just to scratch my own itch. So it's almost every time it's that I go, Hey, that person seems like they'd be interested to talk to. So I reach out and talk to them. And then I'll, I'll realize I've, I have three in a row in three days and then I won't talk to anybody for a month. So it your last, in. your last three have been pretty cool. Thanks. Grish, Grishel is a friend of mine. So I was really hyped when I saw that she was a guest on here. Yeah, that was a fun one. We, uh, we took some space, a new space classes together, like way back in the day and oh, like, nice. um, being that she's, you know, into the mountain biking thing and that's similar to like snowboarding and skateboarding culture i guess you know mountain biking culture skateboarding snowboarding culture they all kind of like are similar yeah not the same or anything but similar you know there's certainly and, some uh, crossover certainly some crossover and we and we connected in this like i think it was a uh, business class for photographers oh wow and uh we actually do hang out from time not so much the last two years because of covid and whatnot but um we actually hang out from time to time and go get drinks and just nerd out and talk about whatever we got going on and i would like to be in on that next time yeah, dude, you should come with. <laughs> yeah. It's fun. Well, she and I, um, I don't remember. Oh, I know how we connected is I, and I, I may have even mentioned this on the, on the episode, but I was calling her about renewing people's ASMP memberships. Oh, like, I like don't know if that was an episode or ago. not. Yeah. It may have, may have been before we started recording, but I called up and, you know, introduced myself and Hey, I'm just calling because we're just checking to make sure that you've got your payment stuff. And I think it was like her credit card number had changed or something like that. And so I met her that way. So she's an ASMP member. Um, and it was, it was cool for me because I grew up like when I was in high school, I was a total mountain bike nerd, 
but this is back in the uh, late eighties, early nineties. Okay. So it's, so it's in a different, it's, the gear is completely different. Um, Way different. Yeah. So not as many shocks on the front. (laughs) There were no shocks when I first started. (laughs) Yeah. Um, My literally my senior year in high school, the first, I think it was my junior year in high school, the first rock shocks came out. So that was the first suspension fork. God, I remember when Fat Tire Farm got those in town and yeah. everybody was going like insane for them. Yeah. Yeah. So it it was cool, but I when I was doing that, we were we were only like 10 years into mountain biking existing. Because the initial I don't know if you know anything about mountain bike history, but the, No, a little, um, I know a little more about BMX. So so there's a couple guys, Tom Ritchie, Okay. Which ha- he ended up having a bike company and Gary Fisher. Which are, also had a bike company. Also had I a bike think company. my dad had a Gary yeah. Fisher at one point. So they were some of the like main first guys who built the first mountain bikes. And what they did is they took these old Schwinn cruiser bikes and they outfitted them with derailers and uh, heavier duty brakes and big, you know, bullhorn handlebars. And they basically would like crank these things up. I think the first few runs, they would basically haul them up on a truck to the top of Mount Tam right outside of San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And they would just barrel down the mountain on these, these things, no helmets, but with like skate shoulder pads and, or uh, elbow pads and stuff. Nice. And just bomb down these things. And this is like a 50 pound bike. So actually I do remember seeing when I was younger, uh, like, posters and stuff like that from some of my buddies like i mean when so when you and i were younger because we're not that far apart um things were really different like if you were a mountain biker or you were a skateboarder or you were like a snowboarder or something like that we all hung out together even if we didn't do the other thing right because we were like the freaks yeah like okay you guys don't play football you don't do basketball you don't do this so you're all kind of banished and then we all kind of banded together and right hung out <laughs> see all see all my friends that i rode with we all ran cross country so we were uh, so the endurance thing was just a built-in thing where i was I, gonna say that probably was beneficial yeah like one of i think it was a couple of my friends had dads that got into mountain biking and we're like oh that's really cool and so then the dads would take us out riding and we were all we all most of us ran cross country anyway so we were already had the endurance but yeah these we were 10 years in this was like 1989 and i want to say it was like 78 or 79 when these first guys started riding down mount tam on these first mountain bikes and so mountain bikes they were they were a brand new thing at the end of the 80s um that's when the first like real production mountain bikes were happening and and then we watched all this stuff happen aluminum frames carbon fiber titanium all these crazy aluminum anodized parts like all this stuff started happening and now we're at a place where you know, back then, if you spent three grand on a bike, you'd be like, that's so much money. And now it's like 13 grand. Yeah. Now three grand only gets you the fucking pedals. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. Maybe, maybe you, one pedal. I don't even know. You used to buy the entire component system for a bike for like 300 bucks. Right. Like you could buy the top of the line Shimano stuff for like $350. Right. And now it's like the rear derailleur is $350. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, it was cool talking to, to Grichel about that. And then also, um, Brian is also a mountain bike guy. Oh, I and didn't realize that from your guys' uh, yeah, interview. Yeah, he actually works at, works for a bike parts company here in Portland. Um, but he's from, uh, from like um, Silicon Valley area. 
I was going to say Bay Area or something yeah, like that. Yeah. yeah. So it was kind of cool having those two back to back. Nice. Um, and then you had Josh, who's also a mountain bike guy, like way yeah. back in the beginning. We didn't really talk about that much on the, on the episode, but yeah, Josh had a bike parts company. Yeah. Um, and he had a motorcycle parts company as well. Crazy. So, kind of wild. Yeah. Well, so anyway, talking about why, like, you, I think the, the range of people is very broad. Um, you know, we, Grichel is, you know, kind of a commercial lifestyle action photographer. Um, Brian does a lot of product stuff. Uh, Tara Workman, my last episode, is a landscape photographer, but she focuses on those really intimate scenes. And she's a doctor by day. Yeah, her interview is so interesting to me. Um, I, I think, though, when you uploaded it, it uploaded like twice or something like that. Because like, <laughs> you hit the end of the interview and then it just starts back up like five minutes into the interview. I'll you have might want to go back and that. check that. Yeah, I'll have to check on that. <laughs> Um, Nobody else yeah. said anything. <laughs> her her uh her interview was really interesting to me. Um, doing that like intimate fine art landscape stuff from somebody who spends. I mean, the medical world is so detail oriented. Mm-hmm. So like, it's interesting that her break from that is still detail oriented, right? You yeah. know, like I would. Most people, I think, would probably like go completely the opposite direction. Yeah, I could see that. So, well, so, so we're, this is like the longest intro we've ever had before. Yeah, I think we're clocking 10 minutes now. So, (laughs) so you, well, I guess I know you fairly well. We've talked, we've shot together. Tell me a little bit about your photography, where you've come from. How did you get into photography? That sort of thing. Gotcha. Okay. So my, my ancient history is going to probably sound pretty similar to a lot of the other people that you've already interviewed. So we'll go through that quickly, but, uh, Basically, I got gifted a camera when I was 11 from my dad, who was a, uh, well, by, by, by work, he's a technical writer. Okay. Um, but he grew up surfing in Southern California and riding like motocross bikes in the desert and stuff like that. Right. And uh, I guess he always had a camera around to document that kind of stuff. And so I was really, I was 11. I was really into skateboarding. I was really into snowboarding. I was really into music. The problem was, is that I knew I was never going to be good at any of those three things or good enough at those three things to like make it a career. And so when I got the camera, I was like, well, I can still be around all these things and just be the guy that's like taking the photos and documenting what's going on and like, like being that so they say that those who can't do teach, but there's also the those who can't, who can do but don't do well can take photos of the thing. Totally, that's <laughs> accurate in my case, I guess. <laughs> I have found that to be true, uh, not just from you, but like, you know, other people that that I that have said like they are they're adjacent to the sport because yep. of because of this. So like people who are they're not they wouldn't consider themselves like a hardcore rock climber but they are part of the community because they are the photographer that's always there. Unless you're Ben Moon and then you're a hardcore rock climber and the photographer that's always there. Well, and my friend Sarah's kind of becoming that too. Sarah oh, yeah. yeah. She's yeah. badass. Sarah just um, a couple weeks ago, three weeks ago, I think, summited uh, Denali. Yeah. That was yeah. insane. I watched the whole thing on Instagram because she yeah. was very good about posting it. Yeah. So. It, which is unreal. I mean, just, wow. Um and I'm really looking forward to getting her involved, hopefully in my documentary project, because 
I love her photography. Her, the Albert her, Desert thing? Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Oh, I, should I, I love, not say where it is? No, yeah, that's Sorry. fine. No, I I don't know that I've mentioned it on here, but yeah, no, I'm 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 working on I'm learning how to be a document a documentary director. I'm learning, and it's been fun to to look at other people's work and go. Oh, I I would love not to copy them, but to have them come be part of this. So influence what you're doing. I'm hoping that I get to have Sarah come point at camera some stuff. That'd um, be cool. Yeah, I've asked. So it's just a matter of getting her up here because it's, you know, it's a few hour drive. You guys sweeten the pot. She can like climb Smith Rock and come help you for a day. And There we go. Yeah. You know, yeah. Just, just talk her, ease her into it that way. Just be like, oh man, have you ever heard of Smith Rock? <laughs> <laughs> I think she has. Um, I feel like Smith Rock and, and seeing a concert in the Gorge are two very like stereotypical Northwest things that if you grew up here, you heard about them billions of times and maybe done them once yourself. Yeah. I've never climbed it. I, I did a little bit of climbing right before and after college and I was never very good at it. Um, but I, I haven't climbed Smith Rock, I, but I've been there quite a few times, um, but never, never in a climbing capacity. And it's mainly because I suck and that's a place that you kind of need to know what you're doing. I've destroyed my hands enough that I actually can't grip well enough to rock climb. I tried it in a gym one time. I was like, this is terrible. So you can't, you can't even just use those, uh, those spring loaded, uh, grip strengthener things. I mean, maybe, but I just don't care. <laughs> I don't walk I don't want to walk around, you know, creaking like a mattress. Fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. I don't care enough. It's so, probably so- why I sucked at playing guitar too. I couldn't grip the cords tight enough. There you go. So yeah. I, so, okay. So, you started taking pictures and you're to be part of the community of these things, these communities you were really into. Yeah. You became the guy that uh, carried the camera. Yeah. So then, uh, seventh, eighth grade, I was on my yearbook staff. You had to take the wet room, dark room class to be able to be on the yearbook staff. I think I did that in seventh grade. Uh, so then I kind of got obsessed with, uh, being in the dark and making photos. Okay. Like, Uh, and then, but I was still really heavily, like I was hanging out with bands and I was still skateboarding all the time. And, uh, and then I was in the dark room when I was at school, you know? Um, and then I continued doing that all throughout high school and then high and high school came and I, and I was trying to decide between two paths. It was going to be like oceanography and go to Oregon state, or it was going to be, uh, photography with like kind of a, a graphic design documentarian element to it sure and go to u of o and i ended up choosing the latter so i actually am i always say i'm a professional by schooling uh and a highly skilled amateur by trade i don't (laughs) i don't know but i also uh you know so i mean i got out of college with a photography and a graphic design degree I did start doing commercial photography as a lighting assistant and all that kind of stuff. And I worked for a, um, a commercial portrait place. Uh, and then 20 or sorry, not 20, 2008 came around and the entire, uh, economy took a nosedive and I was still skateboarding throughout that whole time. And I threw all my eggs in the skateboarding and service industry basket. Okay. Uh, which was probably very foolish at that point. <laughs> uh, and then I stayed there for a long time until I woke up one morning and realized that I was in my thirties and it was really lame to be that guy that's still trying to prove to the like 
17 year olds that you're cool enough to be in their world. What were you doing in the skate world at that point? Um, I was a sales rep and a team manager. And so I was, I was like in the industry side of it, but I was not like, you know, I mean, at some point you get old enough and you either like choose to exit yourself before you like slowly fade away and become that lame dude. Yeah. Uh, not everybody, not, not everybody gets to be Tony Hawk and still be legit in the, <laughs> yeah, precise. I mean, you know, I mean, there's a couple, there's a lot of guys, Tony Hawk is probably the most easily recognizable yeah. for people that aren't in the industry, but there's other guys too that like would probably be recognizable to people because they've gone on to have like acting careers or right. they've gone on to do other things like Jason Lee. Jason yeah. Lee went from pro skateboarding to acting to pro professional art photographer, you know? Yeah. Um, and, uh, and then that became like a thing. He like started this whole thing where there's a ton of guys that went from professional skateboarding to like professional photography. Um, which is crazy. Cause like a bunch of them are like, like ambassadors and stuff. And I'm just like, ah, oh, I'm so jealous. Right. I didn't, didn't wait <laughs> long enough for that to happen or something maybe. Yeah. No, that's cool. I, um, I didn't know that about you, that you'd spent time in that industry. Yeah. 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 Well, so, then, and then, and so then that, that went from not wanting to be the old guy there that was starting to be kind of lame and, and still trying to hang on to some sort of cool points from younger years. Um, and I jumped into like the, uh, the photography industry. Yeah. So I went from that and I got into, um, I actually got into the marketing industry first, uh, doing like marketing asset fabrication. Uh-huh. And then from there got into the photo industry and that's where I am still. Yeah. So I work in the photo industry as a day job. I shoot outside of that and I, and, and I'm an educator outside of that as well. Um, I can officially say that now as I've done some webinars and I've got more on the books for this year. So that's great. Yeah. So I think, um, fair to say, uh, that you work at pro photo supply. That's fair. I yeah. cannot discuss details, but I can confirm that that's where I work. <laughs> well, and it's um, it's kind of fun because it's it's a new enough position for you there that we. But I worked quite a bit with your predecessor. Um, I'm looking being, forward to lurking, working, working, lurking, both, both, yeah. quite a bit with you. Yeah. No, it was. It's fun because um, our the the person who's there before you is still a good friend and um, somebody who's just moved on to a different you know to a different place, um, different different uh, career, but in the same industry. And it's interesting and and fun to kind of say, okay, what can we do? What can we do now that's a little different? Yeah, and, and improve the relationship with you know ASMP members and and Pro Photo Supply because it's like I've always said, and this is why I was stoked when you reached out. I was like, hey, man. I'm, <laughs> I got this new job. I'm like, that's awesome because I've always, I've always had a, um, a soft spot. I don't know if that's the right word for it, but I've always wanted local businesses and local things to do well. And it has always bothered me when, um, people leave to go to the corporate version. Right. It, it, and this is, this goes back to like, I worked at a music store, a little independent music store when I was in college and we competed with like Guitar Center and Guitar Center is basically like the B&H of the guitar world, of the yeah. music world. And it <laughs> used to drive me nuts that we would always be competing and I'd be like, okay, yeah, I know you can buy it from them and they can mail it to you, but you don't get any service with that. Like you can't bring it in and get it adjusted 
in totally. you know in five, four weeks when something isn't working right. You're not going to have a, a person to come in and like talk shop with and try to w- help we work through it. So if there's no community there, it's just an online order place. That's just it. There is no community there, and I think. Um, I use this analogy like I I either in my interview or in my first week, but I was like, I'm going to turn pro photo supply into the skate shop of camera shops. (laughs) I like it. And the reason I say that is that uh, the skate shop is a hub for the community, right? Right. I mean, that's where everybody hangs out. They learn about the newest gear. They find out like whatever the newest trick somebody landed was. They know, you know, the newest video comes and there's a video premiere and all that kind of stuff. And, and I'm, I mean, being that I've spent time in both industries, they're not that dissimilar. Right. Right. Well, and and the music industry is the same. Exactly. You know, I, um, and I've always been drawn, even, like, even back when I worked at a guitar store, or a music store, I, I mean, I sold keyboards and drums and everything, band instruments. We rented band instruments, like saxophones and trumpets and flutes and stuff like that. Awesome. I want to hear a Dan Hawk sax album. <laughs> That's what I want. I don't think I have any. 2022. Record, I don't think I have any recordings of me playing saxophone, but um, uh, I was a music major and saxophone was my primary instrument. So, um. Who knows? So you're saying there's a chance. There might be a recording somewhere. <laughs> I don't know where it is. So, but I might know somebody who might know of a recording. So we'll see. Um, I have recordings of me singing in jazz choir in college. Um, awesome. And I have recorded, and I recorded an al- a full album of, of me as a lead singer of a of a folk rock band. So that's out there. Anybody Equally who's listening, awesome. just look up Dan Hawk on iTunes. You'll find it. Um, yeah, I I. That was kind of my thing is even when I worked in a music store, I would go to other small independent music stores because like they would carry brands we didn't carry. Right. That sort of thing. Like, um, and I think uh, you mentioned Patrick Four. Patrick works at Taylor Guitars. We sold Taylors. I sold tons of them. I still own one. And when I was there, like Taylors are really cool. But if you wanted other high end guitars, you'd have like there was a there was a shop in Portland called Pioneer Music. I remember them. And Pioneer Music was awesome. Yeah. They had, and they had like really, really high-end guitars. Yeah, they like were dope. Specifically acoustic guitars. So that was my, I would like pilgrimage up from the Salem Monmouth area like once every month or two and go and like play really cool guitars at the other shop. Um, so that was a normal thing. And, and I know there's people that I'm still friends with that I sold guitars to or met at the music store. And this is like nearly 20 years ago. Yeah. yeah like, like probably like 18 years ago. So no, so that's kind of cool for me. I've always felt like I want to, when people ask, what should I do? I'm like, you should go to pro photo supply and you should go put the cameras in your hand and see what feels good. But see what, it, see what, and not only that, just not even just to like put the cameras in your hand, but all the guys, all the, all the folks that work there have kicked the tires on everything. Right. And right. they're going to give you, this isn't my sales pitch. I, this is how I legitimately feel about the place and why I'm hyped to be a part of it now. They're going to give you their like no bullshit, like, like a uh, true opinion about something, right? You roll in and you're like, what's the best point and shoot? They're going to work with you. They're going to get you the, you know, the point and shoot they think is probably the best. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, or if you roll in and you're like, oh, I don't know, I can't been thinking about jumping from my DSLR to mirrorless and blah, 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 blah. Well, like, some of our dudes have shot every one of those mirrorless ones behind right. the cam- behind the, the case, you know, right. and they're going to go, well, what kind of things do you shoot? And like, 
okay, cool. Well, I would suggest this because it has this, this, and this feature, and that would be really advantageous to you. Oh, okay. You don't like that. Cool. Well, this one's similar and blah, blah. You know what I mean? Like right. they're, we're nerds. Yeah. <laughs> that's what it comes down to. We're just well, gear that's, nerds. You that's know? exactly it. And that, to be able to have that, those conversations to be able to, uh, to me, there's always something about being able to go and, you know, put your hands on it, go right. look at it, go see right. what it feels like. Uh, I remember the first time, one of the cameras that I've always, I've thought was really cool. Like it's one thing to look at a bunch, look at pictures of cameras. And that when I came down there and I put my hands on a Hasselblad X1D the first time. Oh yeah. I was like, holy shit. This doesn't feel like anything I've ever had in my hands before. No, they're wild. Yeah. It's, it is the, it is the best ergonomic feeling camera I've ever had in my hands. Now I happened to turn it on and try to take some pictures with Ooh, it. Yeah. <laughs> And then I, and then I was like, yeah, the autofocus is not, it doesn't, doesn't do what it's supposed to do. The, the newer one is better, yeah, yeah. but it's still not quite there. Yeah. And so, but that was, that, that's one of those things where you would never know. Right. Um, but uh, conversely, then I go in there and I, stupidly, I was shooting on the Sony a7R2 and I happened to walk in there and I put my hands on the a7R3 and I was like, oh, damn it. Yep. And, they, I and they saw you like, coming too. And I was like. <laughs> Yeah, put me on the list. I yeah. need one of these. <laughs> Are you going to upgrade to the R, R4 or I already R3 have the R2? I already have the R4. Okay, you're going to do the R4 too? <laughs> uh, well, or probably R, like, sorry, R4A. I, keep, I always forget this. No, it's not a 2, it's an A. The one with the, <clears throat> the, one with the nicer LCD. No. Uh, nicer EVF. Uh, I thought the EVF was the same. No, it's oh, nicer. It's, but it has a nicer LCD. That's the it also has part. a nicer one of those, yeah. I don't even care about the EVF. The LCD... They've been using the same LCD and Sony cameras since 2012. You you mentioned it on our podcast before that yeah. your very first Sony Next had the same had LCD a, as your A7R4. Bas- yeah, it was slightly <laughs> smaller, but it was the same resolution, basically. But what's even worse is that the Sony Next 5N also had a touchscreen, and it took them like six or seven years to bring the touchscreen back. So um, weird. And the touchscreen now is still not as good as the one on the Next 5N. Um, you can't actually use it to like navigate the menu at all. That's what I like about the Fujis. Yeah. No, and I'm, you know, it's one of those things where I, I feel like those are cool. You know, those are cool cameras too, but, um, I think we've said it on our podcast before. Nobody now makes a bad camera. Yeah. I think that's probably true. Like Olympus makes cool cameras. Fuji makes cool cameras. Sony makes cool cameras. Nikon makes cool cameras. Canon makes cool cameras like well i don't know if i'd go that far (laughs) i mean as a nikon shooter i would not go that far sorry (laughs) kyle um (laughs) but uh yeah i mean it's uh you know it's uh everybody makes a good camera these days and and really it's just finding you know it's like shoes there's lots of companies that make great shoes but some of them just fit the contours of your foot just right right yeah you know yeah, well, and I, and I think it's this is part of the reason why it's um, it's cool to be able to check all this stuff out, you know. Yeah, I agree. I I, I enjoy getting to play with it all day. <laughs> yeah. So um, so all that being said, you are working at a at a store and in in doing you're in marketing. Yep. Um, for Pro Photo Supply. Yep. Which is, I would say like most camera stores out there, primarily driven by digital photography. and, and Primarily, that, that, but we also have like a lab connected well, to that's us. What, yeah. 
that's what I kind of wanted to, to let you talk about because that fits into your style of the thing, the kind of photography that you do a lot of. Yes. <laughs> t- tell me about that. Tell me about that. Okay. Uh, what you're alluding to is that I still in 2021 shoot a lot of film uh, and not just because I have a big beard and I live in Portland and I'm a giant hipster, <laughs> uh, but I feel like all those things kind of point people in the do wrong you, direction sometimes. Do you also like craft beer? Uh, no, actually... Uh, I like top shelf booze and shit beer. <laughs> so I would rather drink a Rainier all day long than like a craft beer. I th- Something about like five, six years ago, craft beers started not sitting well with me. Hmm, uh, they okay. would give me like a stomach ache or a headache or both. So I started switching over to like top shelf whiskey and tequila and bottom shelf beer. And it's worked well ever since. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, yeah I, I'm, I'm a... I'm not a big beer drinker at all. Um, I have a few that I like, and I always kind of joked around that like beer either needs to be, uh, either needs to be so thick that I can't see through it, yeah, or it needs to be like fruity and not hoppy. Yeah, like it, those are. I can't drink. I don't really like like heavy, really hoppy IPAs. I can't handle that. My wife and I were just talking about this on the morning this morning on the drive to work where. We have a new brewery that's opening up four blocks from our house, right? Oh, wow. And I jumped on Instagram and I started following them and, and I was like, dude, they're brewing beer in there. Like they're going to open soon. We're going to get, <laughs> we're going to have a new beer spot to like go sit at and whatnot. And she was like, well, what kind of beer are they brewing? And I was like, I don't know, something hazy IPA, some, you know, and she's like, oh, not another one of those. Can't somebody just make like a good Pilsner? <laughs> And I was like, yeah, there's not a lot of variety these days, at least in Portland and like the craft beer scene. It's all hoppy as get all get out. I like that your wife actually knew what she was. She said, oh, yeah, yeah. A Pilsner. Yeah. She she's no she's no dummy. She uh, my wife would have no clue. Yeah. She she grew up in a family that uh, that likes beer and wine and whatnot. So, yeah. No, that's that's interesting. I for me, it's one of those where I I have kind of like my go to things that I know. I'm like, yeah, okay. I like I know if they've got Mirror Pond, I'm good to go. Yeah, you know, like that's you know, Mirror Pond is pretty much good to go. Or like the Kawanda, um, oh, yeah. from from uh Pelican. From Pelican. Yeah, that's the the pre pre prohibition cream ale, it's, which is great. It's pretty darn good. Yeah, darn it's good. it's. And it also brings back all kinds of really great memories from some photo trips out to out to um, Pacific City. Dude, okay. So we're going to pin the beer talk for right at the moment because otherwise we'll go down that for another hour. But also, I want to go on some of these photo trips this summer. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. That's why I joined that damn Slack channel. <laughs> yeah. Let's, I want to get my invite. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Consider so, yourself invited. I just got to remember to tell people we're, we're right? gonna do something right and and lately i'm just gonna put this out there lately i've had short days on fridays so oh there we go um there we go. uh but yeah anyways um i still shoot a lot of film and not because it's coming back into trend although it kind of is uh that that industry has definitely seen a revitalization in the last i'd say five-ish or maybe a mm-hmm. little more than that years yep um but i have much like guitars and whatnot, I have a strong love and respect for all those old cameras as machines. Mm-hmm. Um, I have two grandfathers that were both like kind of engineer inclined. One of them actually was an engineer. The other one became an optometrist. But they loved T 
tinkering and tearing stuff apart and seeing how it worked and coming up with reasons why you would, you know, drive one car versus another classic car or why you would do, you know, something like my grandpa that was an engineer um, actually worked with Jay Leno towards the end because he was like a civil engineer for Burbank and then retired and joined the Burbank Historical Society team. And if people don't know, Jay Leno stores a bunch of his cars at the Burbank Historical Society. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's cool. So, you know, they got to nerd out about cars and and the engineering behind cars and whatnot. So I love the engineering behind the cameras. Um, Mm -hmm. They all have these quirky little features that somebody at some point thought was a selling point to them or made them better than the last iteration, you know? Right. Um, and I love that about them. And so that's part of what drives my, my shooting of film. Um, and then the other things that everybody always says, like it makes you slow down and think more and you know, that kind of stuff. Um, it, 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 I guess for me, it's not even the slowing down and thinking more, but the, the putting more intention behind it and, and, putting more value in what you're shooting a photo of, right? Yeah. Um, because of the cost or because of the time and effort that it takes. Uh, to me, it just feels like I will, and I, I went to a music festival last weekend and shot it, and I will just go like, with the digital all day long, you know, and be like, oh, yeah, I got something in there, right? You know, I can pull it back in Lightroom or Photoshop or whatever. And with the film stuff, because I know that I'm going to hit 36, 37, 38 frames and have to load another roll of film, which means potentially missing shots or whatever, you know, um, I'm a little bit more planned and strategic and, and intentional with what I'm shooting. Uh-huh. Um, and I like that aspect of it because then the final product to me has more value and I appreciate it that much more. So it's kind of a dual pronged sword for me um, with why I shoot a lot of film still. Yeah. No, that, I think that's really cool. I, th- that whole, we, we've talked about this. So anybody who listens to our other podcast, we've talked about that machine aspect Yep. and I have been slightly irritated the entire time that I've become a, that I've been a photographer this time around that the, the machines that we use for photography feel disposable Yeah. on some level. Yeah, They like, want you that, to buy a new one in like two or three years. Oh, I hate that. Yeah. And, and it's, it's so, um, and I know there are ways around it. I know you can buy medium format cameras and you can have changeable backs sure. so they don't, so that there's a, like, it is mechanical. There's a, um, you know. They're frightfully the, expensive though. <laughs> oh, right. And that's, that's the part that's so irritating. Cause I, I look at, you know, like, oh, how, it would be cool to have a system where the, there's a leaf shutter built into the lens and your lens can be, you can shoot that lens for the next 40 years. And, and you'd be fine and you just change the backs, but the back is like $50,000 or four, you know, or maybe right. not that it, much, I mean, but like $20,000. Yeah. I mean the, the one of them that you're specifically referencing because we both lust after it is that Hasselblad. Um, it's a throwback to their 500 series and it's basically right. a digital back that goes on one of their 500 series bodies. Right. Yeah. Because as you mentioned, they have leaf shutters and lenses and so they can, it's just a recording box. But that yeah. recording box costs ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars, something like that. Oh yeah, yeah. I think it's like ten. I think I think the hospital one is ten. But like, if you go phase one, right, which is the other company that makes those for those cameras, it's that's insanity. <laughs> it's it's well, infinitely I, more expensive. So, and I I have we've joked about I've talked about this and we've joked around about it. I have a Hasselblad um, a five hundred. What is it? It's a five. 
500 cm. Yeah, we have the same model. I don't have a lens for it currently, and I haven't for like two years. Um, I still get it out and work the, you know, make sure everything is still solid and all the moving parts are still doing what they're supposed to do because I know that that's an important thing. Yep. Yeah, if you don't shoot them for a while, those gears will, the grease will dry yeah. up and the gears will get crusty. Yeah, and and it's such a cool camera. And it's frustrating to me that I that my digital camera doesn't do that. And so one of the reasons why that digital version of that is cool is because you buy you buy the um, a digital back, and the cool thing is once you buy that back, you can stick that on a regular five hundred, right? Or you can and you and you when you buy it, it comes with a digital body as well, right? So there's a digital body that you can hook all the new modern lenses onto. Right. Or you can hook it onto a 500 uh, V-series uh, old film camera and use all of those V-series lenses, like the the C and the CF and all those different lenses, yep. which is awesome. And I would love to go there at some point. I think probably, I'll probably at some point, I'll save up enough money and I'll buy one of those backs. I'm, I'm going to hope that somebody richer than me turns one in at Profoto and I can buy it from the used department. <laughs> There you go. Before well, you, you come in on Tuesday. Because well, <laughs> <laughs> I know that's when you come in. <laughs> if you don't have, I haven't been in there in a, in a while. Though. I know. I Every Tuesday um, I poke my head out of my office and go, Dan Hawk come in today? And they're like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> I used to have a business coaching, a standing business coaching meeting on Mondays when I, for uh, a while. And I would always come in on Mondays. And then, then it was on Tuesdays for a while. So I came in on Tuesdays. But no, I... um. I have not been in there in a while. Um, and mainly because the last time I went there, I ended up buying a lens for like $750. To be fair, that was a great deal though. It was a good deal. <laughs> so anyway, it's, it's, I feel that same, that same love for the machinery and I, but I haven't latched onto it the same way you have. Right. Um, I, I did shoot film for, for a season. Um, with my old, I have a Olympus OM-1 and I have that, that Hasselblad and a couple other weird, uh, other cameras. The OM-1 though, and the Hasselblad are like still to this day, they are amazing cameras for, right. I mean, you know, they're nothing like the Sony a7R4, but they're amazing cameras in that like they are mechanically awesome and still work. And they're like 50, 40, 30 years old, yeah. whatever, oh, yeah. you know? I mean, yeah. the, the I, OM-1 I, came out in what? Like the s- late 60s, early 70s, I think? I think it was early 70s. Yeah. Um, 70, I, I don't remember the numbers, but it was like 1971 they came out with, and the, the original one was just called, um, what was it called? It wasn't the OM-1, it was something different. Yeah. Oh, it was just called the, I think it was just called the OM. I think it was just the OM, yeah. And then they got sued by somebody? Yeah. And they had to change it to OM1. Yeah, they re- basically... They oh, no, re- it was the M1. It was called the M1. M1, the right. One. And then they put the O in the, front of it. Yeah, they put the O for Olympus. Right. Um, but yeah, I I love that mechanical nature of the whole thing. And I, I want that because I'm a guitar player as well. And there's a certain level of my 2001 um, Taylor is now 20 years old. And it's just as good as the brand new ones. Right. Because mechanic, it's just doing something mechanically. It, yeah, the electronics are old, you know, and the new ones have better electronics. But who cares? It's an acoustic guitar. Right. It still sounds amazing, and I can put newer electronics in it. Right. It bums me out though that there's not a way to like just go. Oh yeah, cool. Om one, that's great. Okay, stick the new Sony A seven 
ish sensor on it and we're good to go. Right. Like that, that's not a thing. I, I kept trying to, to pitch to when I was in the industry before as a rep for a brand, I kept trying to pitch to the other sales reps that like were Olympus reps and whatnot. I was like, dude, you know what you need to do? Stop screwing around with this EM one, blah, 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 all that stuff. I was like, just make it so that you can shoot that old Zioko Zuiko glass on the new ones. I was like, you yeah. figure that out. You've got gold in your hands because that glass, that Pentax glass, that Zuiko glass, Zuiko. I don't know how you say it. Zuiko. Zuiko. Zuiko? Yeah, um, that's how it's called. Uh, that old glass is just got a different. I know people have said this before, but it has a different quality to it. Yeah. Because they could coat it with stuff that was legal back then. They can't coat it with that now. <laughs> I have a I have a cool picture that I took um a few years ago where I had my two of the lenses I still have and one of them I've gotten rid of. Um actually I didn't get rid of it. I loaned it to a up and coming photographer and she probably dropped it. Oh bummer. It was a it was a nifty fifty, so it wasn't a huge loss. Like I, I, mean, I, you can I still could find go those. find a new yeah. fifty bucks. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Maybe not fifty bucks anymore, but you can find them pretty oh 51 8 those are dime a dozen um but i have a 35 f2 oh that's a good um one. which is and it is in absolutely pristine condition it has the case the hood the original caps everything i just swooped a uh super takumar um oh, wow. 35 f2 not oh, that cool. long ago for like this dude had it on ebay and he must have been just trying to get cash fast because he had it priced way under what it should have been yeah. And, uh, my, is that, is it, what is that screw mount screw mount yeah the m42 yeah. screw mount yeah yeah and my wife and i have a deal where if it's under a certain price i don't have to check ahead of time um which is <laughs> nice and it was under that price and i was like dude i want that lens yeah well that's that was when i when i bought my 35 f2 that that om lens it's because i was starting to build up my my lens arsenal for the sony stuff and i was using it with an adapter and they do look rad it's just you have to do everything manually which for some people that's an issue for me it's not for me it was learning it was my first 35 millimeter lens right and i i I was like okay um it would be cool to figure out if i like this because i hadn't invested in a and i think maybe like two months after i bought it i was like done and i went and bought a a a native sony 35 millimeter lens but yeah, that lens is amazing. And then I also have a 28 F2.8 or 24 F2.8. 24 is an interesting focal length. Yeah, it, but it's also, and it's like a pancake. It's tiny. Oh, see, but I, I have those. On it. I have those two, and then I had the 50, and all three of them have different color coatings. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I have this really cool picture of all three lenses yep. sitting out underneath like a desk lamp, yep. all glowing, like one's like turquoise, one's purple, and one's green. Yep. It's pretty cool. Yeah, they're amazing. Uh I think it's the Pentax ones that everybody jokes about them being nuclear or whatever, right? Like oh, radioactive. Yeah. Um, well, none of mine are. are. I've tested them, but <laughs> they all have that well, like turquoise, purpley, greeny, yeah. like sheen to the lens, right? Because they coated yeah. them in just different stuff back then. Yeah. Well, they're and they're really cool. And I, so I, I have often thought Olympus, if they were smart, would make a full frame om yeah a digital om yeah forget about all this like the omd em1 like you said right forget about this micro four thirds stuff with like super fast stuff you don't need all that you just need to make a really great digital slr that's super compact and is like has manual controls on it yeah give me the original om one through ten but with digital guts 
Yeah. Well, and so, and, and there's even been people who've talked, who've gone out there and built digital backs that you can stick on like a, an, like an FM one, yeah, or FM two. They intrigue me, but I hear there's but weirdness they, about them. Yeah. And there was like, I think Petapixel had an article a couple of years ago of, of a guy who basically deconstructed a Sony next camera. Yeah. And he basically took the guts out of it and made it into a digital back that he could stick on the back of a Leica. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, that's pretty cool. Yeah. That's pretty wild. Yeah. So, I mean, those, those old film cameras as machines is, is, uh, is part of what's got the hooks in me. Um, and I love all the f- different, I mean, especially now, a couple of years ago, it was a different situation and things were bleak, right? You had Ilford had, you know, a couple, couple different emulsions and Kodak was killing off their emulsions left and right. And Fuji did the same thing shortly thereafter and is still doing that, uh, which is unfortunate. But now you have so many different types of film too, that you have this cool, like, combination of of okay well this film has these characteristics and this camera has this like you know technical advancement or whatever you know and you combine them together and you just get something that looks real different you know Mm -hmm. Uh, especially if you're a nerd (laughs) then you you can id it real fast how do you feel like um because i think this is the thing that always comes up i i had a conversation with ben horn you know, uh, end of last summer. Right. And Ben shoots eight by 10 sheet film. No, like he doesn't just a, shoot eight by 10 sheet film. He shoots eight by 10 slide film, tr- which is slide, lunacy. This is true. Yeah. This is true. Um, he does both. He does some negative film as well. Oh, does he? Okay. Um, I just remember you yeah. talking to him and he was like, yeah, I'm shooting. And he said the film stock and I knew right away Velvia, it was slide film. Yeah, and I was like, you're a madman. You're insane. <laughs> yeah. You have and his, zero but his, but his work latitude is legit. on that. Yeah. Yeah, his work is legit. Um, his work is and legit. I know he does some ne- he does some negative um, film as well. What I find interesting is like I talked to him and I was like, okay, that's cool, right? And I I get it, and I feel like what he's and he I know he started dabbling in digital as well. Uh, yeah, I think bit. he said in your interview that he takes the digital yeah. with him as yeah. well as the well, he, eight by ten because he shoots all his video on an A seven S model uh. Sony. But he started, he has started like, like, I think he went and got a lens, you know, like, um, and was looking at, Hey, I think I'm going to, I'm going to get a digital kit and I'm going to start shooting digital. So, Hmm. and just see what comes of it, which is, I think really interesting because he doesn't, there's some things he said about film that I thought were interesting. One of them is that using film is he's using immature technology. Um, I, rem- film, I remember him saying that and I'm trying to remember fi- what his, yeah, he said it's a, it's a mature technology. The images that he took 10 years ago are not technically any better than the ones he's taking right now. Right. The technology is identical. Right. It's not like, it's not like when I compare shots I took on my next five N at 16 megapixels, little tiny crop sensor to 60, one megapixel, you know, full frame, or if I got a medium format, it's, this is, he is shooting on the highest resolution film with these mod, you know, with the best glass ever made for these things. Yeah. And, and there's not, there's just not really any advancements you can make at this point. Like you're not, you can't get higher resolution except to scan at higher res. Right. Yeah. You can pay for like a drum scan or something like that. But and he does that. He does that. Oh, well, but, he's crazy then. 
Yeah. <laughs> so here's the part. That ben, I also, I've coming. called you crazy five times, but know that that comes from a, a, another white jacket wearing man that uh, is in a padded room right right there with you. <laughs> okay, so you also shoot some digital. I do. I shoot both. I'm not I'm not one of those people that's like film is superior, digital is blah blah, blah. you know, what I mean, that's I I shoot both. I'm I'm an equal opportunist. Yeah. So and it, this is the part that I that I think is an interesting conversation about this. In some ways, they are both they are both superior and inferior to each other. Correct. How did you balance that and how do you decide what to focus on or what you're going to shoot? Um, <laughs> I mean, when you go out, because this is the thing I always ran into is when I shot film, I was always like, I'm going out shooting. I have to bring my Hasselblad and I have to bring my whole Sony kit. And then I would end up with like completely unfocused and I would not get neither one would be very good like they'd be okay right or or i would get an amazing film photo and the digital vi- vi- version would just be shit or vice versa My, so <clears throat> i think you hit it on the head earlier when you were saying that they're both superior and inferior to them, to each other right and so that's basically a lot of times my deciding factor now there are other times where i'm like i'm just going to go on a saturday morning ramble with the film camera and whatever comes of it, comes of it, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's like my form of gambling, right? Like, <laughs> there's no guarantee. I, the back could spring open and I could lose the whole roll or whatever, you know? Or I could put right. the camera on the shelf, forget that I had a roll in it, and two weeks later open the back and go, ah, you know? Right. Um, but uh, there, there's that aspect of it. And then the other aspect of it is is that um, my digital camera does stuff that my film cameras can't. Um, and... Um, I will shoot that when it's advan- ad- advantageous to me. Uh, and I will shoot the film cameras when they are serving a function that my digital camera can't. Right. So what are those? Uh, well, okay. So commonly, commonly I shoot a film. I have many panoramic film cameras. Um, and uh, I will often shoot them in tandem to the digital camera. So I'll have like an X-Pan or a Wide Lux hanging off my neck at the same time as I have my Nikon D810. Okay. Um, and the reason is, is that could I do a pano with the Nikon D810? Sure. But then I have to change my framing size and then I'm only using part of the sensor. Or I have to turn it vertical and do a stitch. And, you know, especially with the subject matter that I shoot, that's not very realistic most of the time. Sure. Um, so You're talking about uh, a front man in a band with an arm that is uh, ends up being like eight feet long across the stage. Precisely. Yeah. Or <laughs> or he shows up five times across the front of the stage. Right. Um, yeah. So I mean, we haven't even talked about the thematically what I shoot, but um, we've been dancing around how I shoot. Uh, well, I, I, I'm guessing it's bands and skateboards. And <laughs> uh, yeah. So I shoot. I, I know what you shoot. Yeah. <laughs> I shoot a lot of music, and then what is deemed street photography um i don't shoot as much skateboarding anymore because when i go skateboard it's me and all my friends that are 40 plus uh and not doing anything impressive um (laughs) so uh, skateboarding is just strictly for fun i did lay in the trenches and shoot a lot of skate photos when i was when i was younger um and i still look back at them and i go damn that was a good photo that should have run in a magazine um or whatever uh but 
um, yeah, I mean, some sometimes like the subject matter just doesn't dictate shooting the film camera, right? right. Um, and then other times it it does, or the film cameras, uh, like the feature of why I've bought that film camera speaks to what I want to get out of it, right? Out of that sure. shot. So um, I will frequently shoot a, a panoramic film camera and my digital camera together. Um, I will often shoot my uh, film camera and a pinhole camera together. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason for that is that uh, pinhole cameras, for people that don't know what they are, are literally a box that receives film or paper. You can do uh, positives on paper. Um, and it's a tiny little, most of them these days are like laser drilled or laser cut, whatever, like holes, but a tiny little pinprick hole that like is F like 100 and something or higher. Right. Right. So if you think about most camera lenses now, they stop at F16, F32, you know, maybe they go up to the, I think it's F45 is the next one up if I remember correctly. So, um, most of them will stop at that if if you're lucky. So we're talking about a aperture that is like five six times that, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, and that means that my exposure time is way longer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you're not getting stop motion most of the time. I mean, in bright sunlight with 100 speed film, I'll get a shot that's less than a second on a pinhole. Uh, but the majority of the time, uh, it's not that. So I'll get a, right. anything that ranges from a couple seconds to an hour, two hours, um, yeah, whatever. And pinhole has a really unique look. It does for, uh, most of the time. I, it looks really dreamy because of it, ca- the way it captures motion. You also are finding film reciprocity failure, which is the whole another two-hour discussion that we don't need to go into. Um, but yeah, it, it it's uh, it's it has a very distinct look. And when I want that look, um, then using that camera overrides the conveniences or the technological advances that my digital camera has. I just thought of something. Um, I know that when you're shooting on a digital camera, like on a modern lens, you, the, the general, I, you know, kind of knowledge is that you're not really supposed to stop down all the way because you end up with uh, diffraction. Right. Is that part of what's happening with pinhole? Maybe. Is that part of what makes it weird and soft and dreamy? Probably. Yeah. Because yeah. basically the smaller the aperture is, the more the light rays can't come straight through. Right. They they have to like, they come through at like weird angles and they bounce around inside yep. before they hit the film plane. Yep. I, so I, I bet wonder, that's I probably that's part, part of it for sure. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know that. So somebody can, somebody can email, um, and say something if they know something about that. Go take pictures at gmail.com. There you go. <laughs> tell us, tell us what we're not getting right here. Um, yeah. yeah. And some, some pinholes are really sharp, you know, uh, depending on what yeah. the pinhole is drilled through, depending on how far the right. film plane is from that hole, depending on what the inside of the, the box that's receiving the image is flocked in. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I, when my, um, one of my friends, Duncan, when he, when the first Sony a seven came out, he, I think it was the A7R. He ordered it in the lens. It was ordered with a 35 f2.8 lens, and and he got the body in, but the lens didn't wasn't like arriving for another four or five days. Oh man! So so he went over um, to uh, my my friend Greg's shop, 
and they drilled a hole in the body cap. Yep. And turned it into a pinhole. Yeah. And then and then he went around town in downtown Portland shooting pinhole images on the first Sony. It was like nobody even had them yet. That was he like pre-ordered it. It was the first one to come in and the lens and there were no Sony E-mount lenses that would work on these things at full frame. Which is but, awesome so that, because that is a way that a lot of people make um pinhole cameras is they drill yeah. a hole through the lens cap. There's actually a brand that like that's what they do. Yeah. Well, and there's and there's also a new a brand new uh product from Lens baby, uh, local yeah. company. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> um, um, I yeah, and, and so they're doing that where you stick it on your stick it on your regular camera, um, which is kind of wild. But uh, yeah, it's not something I've dabbled in much. But I have a bunch of friends who who have done quite a bit of pinhole photography. Yeah, it's fun. It's different uh, for sure, and there's a look to it. Uh, th- so here's another thing that I like about these cameras, right? They have these uh, the film cameras, I should say. They have these like attributes or these features that were supposed to make them a selling point at one point, right? Or is supposed to make them special. Right. And uh, typically, there's a yeah, give me a give me a version here. What are we, what are we talking about? <laughs> well, so typically, let, let's okay. Let's take for instance the 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 um, pinhole camera, right? Because we were just talking about yeah. that. So um, you can get really nice pinhole cameras now that are a couple hundred bucks. Uh, I yeah. have a zero image pinhole, which is yeah. fantastic, uh, and they come with a birth certificate. It's real fun. Um, yeah, they're handmade out of like precious woods in, I think it's China. Uh, okay. I've talked to the guy before cause I actually had to have mine repaired and I okay. had to send the whole thing back to him because he's like, each one is different. And if I don't have yours, I can't fix it. Yeah. And I was like, makes sense. All right, cool. So I'll send the whole thing back to you. Um, and so anyways, uh, so the pinhole camera, right. Is like, we we've talked about what that looks like. Um, typically you would shoot something where, uh, you weren't trying to get stopped action it's like landscapes and right uh maybe you would shoot like uh i just just had a long exposure class with uh thebo thebo roland thebo roland mm-hmm. he's a sony yeah. ambassador um he does a lot of ir and a lot of long exposure and he was talking about he does long exposure a lot of times when he's traveling to uh famous monuments because there's a lot of people staying around and gawking well if they're moving fast enough and he does a long enough exposure they disappear right right and, uh, and so like you would use the pinhole camera for similar situations. You would use it for right. like a really dreamy landscape or to like make people disappear or whatever, you know, um, intentionally caption streaky stuff. Yeah. Uh, and I like to shoot, uh, things that really sh- like, I like to shoot action with it. Right. Mm-hmm. I like to shoot somebody doing something that you would usually think of that photo being a stop action photo. Right. But it's not. So it has a really interesting, unique look. I think that's cool. Um, I actually really want to try to shoot a skate photo with it <laughs> uh, and just see what yeah. I get, you know, or shoot um, a skate park, like go to a skate park and shoot a photo of of somebody like ripping around it or something, you know? Yeah. And see what I get. Um, Make them wear like um, some glow bracelets or something. <laughs> sure. If I'm, <laughs> if I'm shooting color, um, just make them shoot or wear something that's like completely contrast to whatever the background is. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I like, or like the wide Lux, for instance, right. It's a swing lens panoramic camera. And right. that means that if you don't have it a hundred percent leveled out, your horizon bends. Yeah. So 
a lot of people would probably, I mean, you know, a lot of people would probably try to make a straight horizon and I will intentionally shoot it in a way that bends the horizon to have kind of like a weird, unique Willy Wonka MC Escher land, you know? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. That's really cool. So no, I love that. I I think that's, um, part of the reason why I, I found it intriguing when I was, when I was spending time shooting film was, the idea that um, I was shooting a camera that um, the image because of the, you know, because of the size of the image plane, you know, the size of the sen- the, the film right. just was different. And so I was, you know, medium format right. um, just looks different than anything I can do on digital. Yeah. It doesn't. And it's not, be- you know, it's, it's not because it's film specifically. It was, it has way more to do with the fact that it's, the physics of the lens and the sensor size. Well, yeah. Well, and the the film size, that's, that's the, that's another interesting point is that, um, yes, a lot of the new cameras, you can change the, the, uh, the ratio, right. The, the film or the, the, I guess, sensor ratio, aspect aspect ratio. ratio, That's the word I was looking for aspect ratio. But you know, I mean, with your Hasselblad, it's a six by six. Right. And the lenses are designed around that. Well, one of the most interesting things for me, and I know we've, we've talked about this before, but I, the first time I ever saw um, images taken with a Hasselblad at that 80, you know, with that, that classic 80 millimeter F 2.8, I was, that lens, I saw that. And that I was lens like, is, is amazing. Yeah. And I saw that. I was like, holy shit, what is that? Because it, it looked like, I was like, well, I know what shallow depth of field looks like, right. but I don't know something looks wrong. Like it had this fairy tale kind of look to it. Right. And what it was, is it was, it was the same shallow dip, the field I was used to, but the frame was like twice as big as I was used to. Right. And, and I just, it took me a while to wrap my brain around like what I was even looking at. And then I started seeing some, uh, people that were taking pictures with, uh, those contacts, um, medium format kits. Oh yeah. Yeah. The, uh, I think they make a six, four, five also. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. The big big medium format ones. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's crazy. And they had, you could buy like a 1.8, 80, an 80 millimeter 1.8 lens. It's like, that's insane. And so I started kind of looking at that and going, okay, I I need that look. And so then I started like dabbling in, okay, well, what's the closest, you know, uh, field of view? Well, if you're shooting full frame, the closest field of view is like 35 to 36 millimeters it feels about the same as like the Hasselblad square yeah but the shallow depth of field is nowhere near the same if you're shooting with like a 35 f2 right or something like that you would need like a 35 like 1.0 to get almost the same well so what I figured out is basically the 35 1 2 which and you can get one um there is a Voigtlander 35 1 2 it's a Leica mount Lens. Yeah, it's an M mount. Yeah. You can get those and you can get the adapter and you can stick that on the front of a Sony camera. And it looks about, it has the same dreamy look. Yeah. It, except it's it's actually slightly wider, but it's the same height. Right. And that's one of the things I, I've always thought was interesting is that when I compare, when I look at Hasselblad um, images off of the V series, you know, the V series cameras, it's, it's not so much, I think we always tend to think of, we think of square as being, oh, it just has the sides chopped off. Right. But that's not really the right way to think about it. No. The field of view is more like, no, it's that the image is 
it has more added to the top and bottom. Right. And that's what makes it square. It's not that it's, it's not that they chopped the sides off. It's that they expanded them. The, it's taller. It's like if you took like a, like a, a shot with cinema bars, but you filled those cinema bars in yeah. with more image. Exactly. And so I looked at it and I finally realized 35 on a full frame is the same field of view as as what you get on a Hasselblad 80 millimeter. They're actually very close. If you do the conversion. Yeah. Like from yeah. one from the from the six by six one twenty to uh to a, a thirty-five millimeter equivalent yeah. full frame sensor. But they're the same height wise. Right. Not not width. Right. So the thirty-five you're actually getting extra stuff on the sides, but the height is the same. Right. In in the frame. It's framed up the same. And I was like, okay, that looks cool. I bought the 35 uh, Voigtlander 1.2 and I was like, this is amazing. And I shot all these pictures with it. And it was all this like super shallow depth of field. And it was like, oh, this is amazing. And then I was like, this sucks because it's all manual. <laughs> and and the thing is heavier than my camera. And um, not a problem. So I, right, right. And so <laughs> I, so because of that, I moved to the 35 1.4. The GM one? Uh, the Sony, Sony nah, GM? I, Actually, I had I had the Sony Zeiss one first. Oh, okay, um, which is great. Which is a great lens. I actually still have it, but I, I need to sell it because I did end up with the thirty five GM. Okay, uh, here about a month or two. I mean, that's ago. an amazing lens. So it is insane. I had a I had a client shoot today, and it was. Um, I have a web designer developer friend that refers me to all her clients, and we showed up, and she's like, "Hey, are you putting on your favorite lens?" Because she knows the thirty five one four is my favorite. Yeah, and I was like, I actually have a new version of my favorite lens. <laughs> She's like, Oh, let me see it because she she knows what it looks like. She knows the vibe of that lens. Yep. Yeah. So I, I mean, it has a very for me, distinct I've always been, characteristic for sure. So I'm just trying to mimic Hasselblad 80. That's for me. That's what I'm. That's what I'm shooting for, and that's why that 3514 is my favorite. And and so we've danced around it, but I'm just I'm gonna say it because it's probably. It, Anybody else that's shooting film is probably like jumping up and down screaming at us right now. But um, <laughs> the thing that's awesome about that Hasselblad 80 millimeter f 2.8 lens is that you're getting the compression of like a portrait length lens. But like we've talked about the the framing and it's because of a conversion, right? The 80 millimeters on that 120 square format is actually probably closer to like a 40 millimeter roughly yeah right like yeah. when you're going APS-C sensor on a on a digital camera and you have to do the 1.5x crop factor what's well, the reverse yeah. on medium format you're actually like reversing it and doing like a exactly. not crop factor an expansion exactly. factor like yeah so i mean that's that's what makes that's what gives that lens that amazing different oh, yeah. quality yeah and i and i love it and i've this is this is why i love film but I, but it's hard because so much of what I do is kind of needs to be digital. And that's like just yeah. the, the workflow of things. Yeah. Like the shots I was doing today, this stuff's all going to live on the web. Right. And that's, um, and that's why I still, that's why. So oddly enough, I got super burned out on photography, probably around age 30. And like I, I had done the, you know, I'd done the digital like a uh, thing right out of college, you know, like in, in college, all my professors, cause I rode the line between the art department and the journalism department at U of yeah. O and the art department was like digital will never catch on. Right. And we were using like <laughs> Photoshop too. Yeah. <laughs> I think in like the graphic design department. Right. Um, and then I, I knew that that was not correct. Uh, that some point digital would come in like Godzilla and just wreck everything. Um, 
And so uh, the journalism department was embracing digital. And so I made buddies with Rick Williams, who was a professor there at the time and an amazing photographer from Texas. Uh, Someday when we get together, I'll bring his book and you can look at his his working hands book about um, uh, ranch hands and oil rig workers in Texas. Um, And specifically like their hands and arms and stuff. So uh, anyways, uh, cool book cool dude. He kind of took me under his wing and brought me into the journalism department and got me in all the digital classes that I needed. Yeah. So I straddled that line even back then in school. And, um, it was, uh, you know, so like you were saying, there's, there's times I shoot the digital because I know at the end of the day when I'm shooting a band and they're paying me, I have to have something to give them. Yeah. And they're probably going to, it's probably going to live on Instagram, might live on their band camp, might live on their website, whatever. Yeah. So it doesn't need to be film right right um but like i said those film cameras have some cool aspects about them so i bring those two um and then they get both and uh there's a couple bands that i shoot for um who specifically hire me because i shoot film and i'm not afraid to do it um and i'm not like a weirdo about it either (laughs) there's a um there's a one photographer that i started following because he went out on the road with one of my favorite bands. Yeah. And, Peter McKinnon. And he did. Angels and Airwaves. <laughs> no, I actually really no. want to see that documentary he's working on. Not yeah. because I'm a no, huge Tom DeLonge cool. fan, but because Peter's rad. And also it speaks so much to like what I do a lot of the times. Yeah. Um, this guy's name is um, Chris Hirschman. Oh, yeah. I've heard of him. Yeah. He went on the road with Switchfoot. Okay. And did some band portraits that are that are in the studio shot on a uh, 503 cm nice and it's i mean they are insane they're so good and i looked at those and i and i was like i've never seen modern film photography that looks like this yeah like he he nailed it and then he and then he was like yeah i'm on the road and he would be shooting he'd be jumping back and forth between shooting on like a d810 i think right um, or a 750 and then switching back to then then he'd be like okay and then here's a bunch of shots shot on like a little point and shoot um, film cameras and and then he's got this stuff and then it's cool it's just really cool and I love seeing it and I think maybe one of the parts that drove me this is what this is what I think would get me into it again I've always been a little bit jealous of people who are able to go back and forth and have there still be consistency in their work. You'd be surprised that if you just like anything worked through the awkward period, yeah. you'll hit that stride. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm not going to say that like, Oh, I think I was starting to say it earlier, but I got really burned out and I almost like, I yeah. almost completely left photography when I turned 30. And, um, what got me back into it again was I shelved all of my digital equipment at that point. Right. Mm-hmm. Because I just wasn't in love with what I was getting. And I went back to my very first camera because I still had it. And Which I is? stopped giving a shit. Uh, the Pentax Spotmatic SP1000. Nice. Um, it is the M42 mount screw mount for Pentax. It's a 1972 SLR, right? Cool. It's literally built like a tank. I'm, one of yeah. mine, I have two of them now. But one of mine, I dropped off a cliff in Mexico and it landed in the water and I took it home and dried it out and it's it's still working. <laughs> See, and that that right there, if my 
one of my Sonys got dropped off the, the there's no way. Yeah, it's done. They'd be dead. They'd be dead. It's a uh, $3,500 paperweight at that point. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. No, I, well, that's cool. Well, I, that's the thing is I've seen some people and you, and you see their work and you have to kind of almost ask, like, oh, is this film or is this digital? Because you can't tell. Right. And I think that that to me, and it's not because the digital, it's not because the film looks like digital. It's because it's all merged. Yeah. It does. It, they don't, neither one looks like each other. They're just like, I think if I, I've, so I've always had kind of that mind as like, I would love to get so good at film that it became a point where I, it didn't, I just chose the one that was the right camera for the job. Right. And it had nothing to do with whether it was digital or film. Right. I, I always but say I, I have like over 40 cameras and I always say that like pretty much all of them I shoot so consistently that I could, you could blindfold me, hand me one and I could load it and shoot it and probably get something that's pretty decent. Yeah. I like that. So, Well, that's cool, man. Um, I love it. I, when we've been talking about this, we need to go out and shoot some film. Cause yeah, I, dude, you're coming out one day and I'm, I'm going to like take the a seven R four I'll just leave it and home. And it's going in my car and you're not getting it back till the end. Yeah. No, we'll just leave it home. We'll just be like, <laughs> this is a trip with no uh, no digital cameras. Yeah. I've got a buddy so, uh, that I've been doing that with recently. He's a, um, he's a creative director for uh, a CBD company. Okay. And he's a super rad dude. Uh, does does awesome, cool video stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, got invited to that Power of Video conference in the UK to be a speaker and all that kind of stuff. And um, he... Uh, he and I meet up for coffee like probably once every two or three weeks. And I bring some sort of weird film camera, which always like gets him hyped up and blows his mind. And uh, I keep telling him like, you know, he'll bring like his, uh, he shoots the A7S series, I believe. I think he's on an S3 now. Um, yeah. But he'll bring that. And I keep telling him like, dude, just bring the only film. Is that, ne- is that Nick you're talking about? It is about? Nick. Yeah. 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 Um, and he'll bring, he'll, I'm trying to talk him into just bringing his Holga because that's really the only film camera he has. Yeah. But he, when we first started hanging out, he was shooting the whole goal all the time. Yeah. So I'm trying to get him back into it. Yeah. It's kind of, I think it's, it's hard. There's a, there's a sense of FOMO because you know your gear. Right. And you know what it does. Right. And it's, that was always my hang up. And it's interesting because I've had a few friends that have said who are film, kind of film nuts that go, just leave the digital camera home. Yeah. Like go on a trip decide that you're going to go to a location and plan that this is a trip to, that you're going to shoot a film. Well, and here's, um, here's the that, other thing too. And, and this tripped somebody out when I told them this recently, um, they were like, how can you shoot film and like not be sure that you got what you wanted? Right. You have somebody paying you and you can't say to them that you know that you got what they wanted and, and you can deliver. <laughs> right. And I go like, what did they do before the year 2000? Right. Well, first of all, yeah, that, <laughs> <laughs> and second of all, I go, um, my whole mentality on it is, and this kind of developed when I walked away and came back to that first film camera was that, um, <laughs> is that, uh, if it doesn't come out, it wasn't meant to be. If yeah. I didn't get that shot, it wasn't meant to be. It wasn't, that wasn't my shot that day. It w- it wasn't supposed to happen. It's not, you know, um, and there's been times where people have paid me and I didn't get the shot that they wanted and I got something that was I'm way more hyped on. And I just said, cool, man, don't pay me then. Like, I'm cool with it. You know, yeah. like you can have these for free because you thought you were getting something, but, and don't pay me if it didn't come out the way that you didn't want it to come out, you know? Yeah. Um, 
which is nice part about having a luxury having a day job uh <laughs> is that i'm not surviving off of off right. of the, you couldn't survive off of what bands pay anyways uh for the most part um <laughs> realistically no offense to any of the bands uh, i love you all but most of you want to pay in you know drink tickets and free black t-shirts which i've Can enough I give you of. some merch what's that <laughs> merch yep, free black t-shirts man no i already got a drawer of those i'm good <laughs> yeah yeah so uh you know what I mean? so that coupled with uh with the kind of it's it, it's like accepting the limits right yeah like you just got to mentally put yourself in that place and go okay man this is nerve-wracking but at the same time if it doesn't happen it, it just doesn't happen and it's fine. Well, I think ultimately, like you just have to get comfortable enough with that gear. Cause you know, I, I walk out in the field with, um, you know, I don't ever take my camera out of manual mode. Right. My digital camera right. ever. Like I just think about it. Like I, that doesn't ever happen. And it's funny to me cause I know people do and I'm not judging them. I just know my camera well enough to know that if I do that, I know I'll forget. Mm. and I'll and I'll reach for something and it won't be there and then I'll it'll throw me off. I've just gotten so used to shooting a certain way. I but that's film is not that different. It's the same. You just, you go okay, there's you've put a certain uh kind of film in. So that that's not a decision you have to make anymore. Right. And you have, you know, and y- your f- camera can do certain kinds of things. So that's not a decision you have to make anymore. Right. You know, like you're not shooting Milky Way with the, with this lens, with, you know, with this kit. Right. You don't have, you don't have the right film. You don't have the right lens on. And also it's film. So it wasn't going to do that anyway. I mean, it will, but you have to do again, res- <laughs> exactly. reciprocity failure. So exactly. And so you need to, you need to have thought that through. You have to really know what you're doing. So if you go, oh, this camera doesn't do that. And then you learn your gear and you know what it does do, then and you know what's funny is that ever since I went back to to film, I also put my my digital camera in manual, and it never leaves it. But I also shoot my digital camera like it's a film camera. I yeah. don't chimp. I don't look at the back. I yeah. I don't um I don't change my ISO constantly. I yeah. get in. I shoot a couple test shots, mm-hmm. and it stays that way. And I have my playback like review mode on my camera on my D810. No, I have it for like the fastest possible, which I think is one oh. second. So it literally pops up just because I want to see if like, you know, when you're shooting stage lighting and it's changing song yeah. to song, if it, if it changes so drastically that I need to like change a shutter speed or something real fast um, or whatever, work, work with my other parts of my exposure triangle to get yeah. a, a, a proper exposure, then I'll do that. But um, most of the time, you know, you have to shoot like, above uh above like one sixtieth to stop action right. and then you have to shoot you know uh, a certain level of iso or you're gonna get just absolute mush um right so but i shoot i shoot my digital camera like it's a film camera i don't look yeah. i don't change settings constantly i take a couple test shots at the beginning occasionally check at a midpoint and shoot it and just go and know that i can work with whatever i get See, I think that, um, so it's interesting because I have the playback turned off. Yeah. But I'm also shooting with an EVF. Right. So I've already seen what the picture is going to look like. And and my D810 has, a, has, a, has an OVF, so. Yeah, yeah. Which is great because all my film cameras are OVFs. Right. So again, right. it's like, it's the gear works an, or I can make it work in a similar enough fashion that the leap isn't that far from my brain. Yeah, this is why I know you've talked about Fuji, but this is why like the something like the uh, the X Pro two or three or whatever they're on. They're now. on three, yeah. 
would be an interesting, you know, because you have the optical yep. and then you can click a button to flip over to electronic. Yeah, the XT series does not interest me at all because it's <laughs> mostly about the EVF. But the X Pro series and the X uh, 100 series, those yeah. are both optical viewfinders. Um, same same with like cool the camera. the uh, the Leica M10s and that kind of stuff. They're all optical viewfinders as well. Yeah. Um, and that stuff interests me because it's that's my the way my brain already works. Yeah. Well, and that's what's cool about the uh, the uh, X Pro models is that you can sw- you can flip back and forth. Yeah. Yeah. Abs- Cause absolutely. Because sometimes. Sometimes having an EVF is amazing. That's true. <laughs> I'm I am fully in the EVF camp. Um, so it's when I pick up a film camera, I'm like, okay, I have to adjust. I have to stop and think about things. Right. Well, cool, man. That's um, I love that, and it, it just prompts me more to know to think. Obviously, I've thought I've always thought film was cool. I own a few few film cameras. I've got shoe boxes full of slides. Yep. And not slides, but um. Negs. All the slides I've shot are crap. So <laughs> negs. Yeah. 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 I tried slide film and I was woefully unprepared for that. Well, and that's so. why I was saying Ben was crazy is that like there's literally like maybe one stop of latitude on slide film. Right. right. And right. so like you blow your exposure, your 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 photo is blown. Well, I don't know if this is I may be speaking out of turn here, but it seems like when I watch his earlier videos, and if you haven't, if you don't follow Ben Horn and you're listening to this, you really should. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like YouTube, should. He has a YouTube channel that is insane. Even just the stuff from two years ago, he would go out and he would shoot, you know, hey, I, I shot some Provia and then, but I'm a little worried about it. So I then I put some, then he shot some negative film. Right. Like he didn't quite know. You didn't do that anymore. Right. So, like, so like it, slide film was like one stop of, yeah. of lateral, like, you know, or latitude, sorry. Um, and like, like to, to think negative. about like your Sony, it's probably like 14 or 16 stops. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so you're talking about like, if, if somebody doesn't shoot film and you're listening to this, uh, still after the last hour, <laughs> you haven't left and <laughs> run away from all my film talk. Um, the, the think about taking away, all of your ability to pull those highlight sliders in in Lightroom and yeah. pull those those shadow sliders in Lightroom, yeah, and and you just that's not there, it doesn't yeah. exist. Yeah. Well, it's it's amazing how much I mean, being a a primarily digital, you know, you know, commercial and you know, brand, you know, whatever I do, it's sometimes it's brands, sometimes it's headshots. I rely a lot on that extra latitude. Yep. And and I'm sure it's probably made me a sloppier photographer because of it. Um, it I, I know that I would have to be better if I had to get it right in camera. And there's certain stuff that I do that there's just, I wouldn't be able to pull it off any other way. Yeah. Yeah. And and to be honest, like there's times where I've shot bands and, and that latitude on my D810 has saved me. Um, oh, yeah. But that being said, uh, you know, the more you know your stuff, the more you know the exposure triangle, the more you know that uh, your gear, right. Your specific gear, the more, you know, what you can get away with. Right. So, no, that's cool. That's really um, cool. And, and I, you know, something, something that's interesting to me too is always, and I just recently kind of like was pondering one evening, uh, on a Friday night, late at night when I should have been in bed. Um, <laughs> I was pondering why I've never really cut the net of a safety of, of the safety of a day job and gone full on practicing working professional photographer. And I think the reason is this, um, 
and we're taking <laughs> we're taking a sharp left turn here, but I know that we're kind of coming to the end of this thing. Um, and the reason is this: is that I feel like digital photography has pushed professional photography in, in more into a realm of like a service, right? Right. And maybe it's because I went to art school, and maybe or whatever, or maybe it's because I shoot film, or maybe it's just the way I grew up. You know, I was like the tail end of Gen X very apparently technically a geriatric millennial, um, which is the worst (laughs) term I've ever heard. And it did just, yeah, I can't even believe that's what I'm labeled as. But, um, uh, I think that if I ever go for full-time photography again, I'm not selling myself as, cause I have done it once before. Um, and then that's what made me kind of not fall in love with it anymore or not be in love with it anymore. Um, and I think, the, the way I'm going to approach it and the way that I'm going to pitch it to clients is that this is not a service. I'm creating a piece of artwork that you are the subject matter of. Hmm. I like that. And that's what you're going to walk away with. I'm not, I'm not a service. I'm not, I'm not, you know, serving you a photo. I'm not, you know, I'm not cry, like holding your hand with this photo. I'm making you a piece of artwork like that's that. about you. Um, and I kind of came to that realization as I was talking to the front man of one of the bands that I shoot for semi-regularly. And he's like a real artsy, nerdy guy too. And uh, we, we've been friends for 20, almost 20 years now, maybe 20 years. I don't know, something like that. Yeah. So like we will go on tangents where when I go out and visit where he lives, we'll go for like long walks or something and we'll, we'll get off on these nerd tangents of artwork. And I told him that one time. He's like, that makes sense. That's like how I make songs. Yeah. I'm not making a song as I'm not making a song knowing that I'm going to play it as a service later. Right. And I was like, I like that. That's it. That's like, uh, you're not making cameos. Nope. Definitely not. (laughs) Or TikToks. I have a TikTok, but I, uh, I don't make them. Yeah. That's for Keith. We leave that to Keith. (laughs) Yeah, dude. Follow Keith on TikTok. He's going to hate me for this one. Yeah. Um, No, that's, that's really great. I like that. Oh, and it's, I I think I, there's a lot of stuff that's wrapped up in that. That's, we could go off on a whole other conversation about what is digital photography done for it, but. Well, we we have on our podcast. Yeah. (laughs) Many (laughs) times. Yeah. So go, just go look through there and listen to all the episodes. There are, it's amazing to me how many the kinds of art people made in previous, you know, in older generations, right. Shooting film when, you know, digital wasn't even an option. Right. And they still made amazing art. So, so there's some level at which you have to kind of go, wait a second here. This is not, we've, we've commoditized it because it's become so easy. Yeah. Like the, the simple fact is I can pick up my phone and take a pretty decent picture that's sometimes good the enough JPEG is it well i mean sometimes it's even better than what i'm able to pull off of with my big camera right right because of some and, of the and, technological advancements that they put in those oh, yeah. phones yeah and so how do you even supposed to compete with that right you know i mean that's <laughs> uh, and the answer is you probably you don't you you figure out a different way you, exactly you don't you don't compete uh, you know it's like it's like boxers they don't box out of their weight class right right and, and that's the same thing with my photography i don't box out of my weight class i know i know what i'm doing and i stay there i like that so. Okay, so speaking of that, 
where is the stuff that you do? Because <laughs> you've, you've, you've talked about, you know, we've talked about all of this, but people should go look at your work yeah. and see what you do. Uh, so currently my website is down for redesign, rebrand. Okay. Uh, but that will be, everything is all under the same name. Uh, intentionally okay. a couple, five, six, seven years ago, I put everything under the same name. So um, my handle on most places on the web is emulsion, like film emulsion, in motion, okay. all slammed together as one word. So emulsion like in motion um, is where you can find me on pretty much every platform, including TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, <laughs> Facebook, uh, Flickr, <laughs> 500 P, Twitter? 500 PX. Do you tweet too? I uh, don't tweet. Nope. Never okay. got into that okay. one. Uh, so yeah, I think, I think I've named them all. There might Snapchat. Maybe I might still have one of those <laughs> linking around if you want to snap me something. Um, yeah, but yeah, that's a, I'm, that's it. And then also when the website goes live, it'll be emulsioninmotion.com. Cool. And if you, uh, live in the Portland metro area, yes, go, um, go do your business at Photo Supply. Yeah. Come, ha- come hang out with me. Come nerd out with me. Come ask me what my favorite film is that day. Uh, or, or whatever. Or ask, open the cooler. You know, yeah. Or, yeah. <laughs> I, it, so it, funny, funny story about that. I, uh, it was like my first week and there's a couple other guys that are big film nerds there too. Right. And I, I came in and, uh, we had been talking, me and Dan, um, had been talking, not you, Dan, the Dan that I work with, Dan, Dan Kaplan, his is a psychic dot parking on Instagram. Go follow him. He's hilarious and also a talented photographer. Um, we were talking nerd film nerd stuff by the cooler and uh and the next day i brought in like a like a special limited batch lomo film that i had impulse purchased like 20 rolls of or something like that right and i it's a color film and i like hardly ever shoot color uh i leave that to my digital camera mostly and i came in and like tossed him a roll of it he's like oh my god where do you have this and i was like it's in the regrettably to my my wife's dismay it's in the crisper drawer of my (laughs) fridge (laughs) where all the film lives and uh and the purchaser for pro photo came came into my office like a day or two later and was like dan's going off about this film you gave him like how do i order that who's that come from and i was like you don't it was like a limited edition like two three four years ago like you can't get it anymore and she's like she just slaps me on the shoulder and she goes what are you doing giving dan film we can't buy anymore (laughs) <laughs> she's like he's nice. down there going off about how cool it is and i was like well that's just you know that's for, that's for me and him there you go yeah and i'm gonna do the same thing we the the cafe down the street there's a uh, one of their baristas there um shoots film and i've talked with them about it a few times now and so i'm gonna surprise them uh one of these mornings with like a a random unique film stock from my stockpile Cool. just see see what they do with it no i love it that's great so. cool well this has been really fun man yeah it's uh it's fun talking in a little bit different context totally totally different context i feel like we're cheating on justin and ben a little bit but a little bit um that's okay they'll, they'll live they were busy yeah. justin's traveling and ben had a, had a hard week so yeah, that'll, that'll happen <laughs> so we are recording during our normal time this is true and we haven't said the name of that other podcast yet <laughs> oh yeah lights camera lenses <laughs> Thanks for saying it because I always get it in the wrong order. Yeah. And then Ben yells at me. He's like, dude, you're on, you've been on this podcast for a year and you don't even know the title of it. And I was like, I don't know. It's 
camera parts. <laughs> well, it was <laughs> it was a working title for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Cool, man. Thanks. Yeah. It's been fun. Yeah. Thank you so much for spending this time with us. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, share it with your friends, and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or the podcatcher of your choice. Also, I'm open to suggestions for interesting people to interview. So if you know of someone I should talk to, please reach out. You can reach out to me via the email link in the show notes, or you can send a message on Instagram or Facebook with the handle at GoTakePictures. New episodes are on the way soon, and if you subscribe, you'll get them as soon as they drop. But in the meantime, go take pictures.